You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Nehemiah chapter number 4, verse number 13, look what the Bible says, Therefore, this is a response to hearing a report that an attack is imminent. There's an adversary, there's an enemy that has uh, threatened and they say they're going to slay the remnant, they're going to kill Nehemiah and cause the work to cease. Here's how Nehemiah responds. He does not respond with cowardice, he responds with courage. He says, Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them, remember the Lord. By the way, that will help you not be fearful. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned, all of us, to the wall, everyone unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows. And the, I said this the other day, and I butchered it, and I'm about to butcher it again. So just hang on. The habergens, is that how you say it? Nobody knows. And the, everybody's like, I think it might be. And the rulers were behind all the houses. Now, if you're super spiritual, don't find me after the service and correct me. It'll hurt my ego. All right, verse 17. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. Now, they're in a heightened season of imminent war. These men now have a trowel in a hand and a sword in the other. There are certain men that are now set to guard constantly around the clock so that the attack does not make it to where Nehemiah is. Nehemiah is in the eye of this storm. A battle is on the horizon. Verse number 18 says, For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side, and so build it. The Bible says the next phrase, And he that sounded the trumpet, look what it says, was by me. Now look at verse number 20. It says, In what place therefore you hear the, here it is again, the sound of the trumpet. Resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. I don't know if you've noticed it before. Maybe you have, but I'll be honest with you, I had never noticed it before. And I notice sometimes I'll read through familiar passages quickly. And the problem with that is if you read through a familiar passage quickly, you'll miss things that have been there all the while. So go back and read through things you think you know slowly. And it's amazing what God will pull out. This phrase popped out at me. I underlined it. I made a note by it. I thought it was very interesting that with the threat of battle imminent, with danger at the threshold, Nehemiah made the conscious decision not to get tight to the swordman, not to be tight to a spearman, not to get as close as he could to a man with a bow, but he said, if there's danger out there, if there's a threat, i tell you who I want to get close to. I want to be as close as I can get to the man that sounds the trumpet. Yesterday, I went back by the place where I got born again. I got saved when I was 21 years old in Fairmont, West Virginia, in an apartment complex called College Park Apartments, apartment 302B on the third floor of that apartment building. 
the apartment's torn down, but the, the, the foundation's still there. And so I went there and I prayed a minute and I just stood there and remembered those days. I thought about the preacher that had preached that first brought me under conviction and led to my salvation. If I mentioned his name, you wouldn't know it. He's still pastoring to this day, pastors a church, maybe 50 people in a place of no cell phone service, a place that is unincorporated in the middle of West Virginia. But I thank God for that preacher that preached that day and that led to my salvation. You and I tonight are blessed that we have a place we can go and still hear the trumpet sounded. I think if Nehemiah was to stand here tonight, he wouldn't say so much, thank God for the swordsman or thank God for the bowman or thank God for the spearman, but he would say, I want to say thank God for the trumpeter. Tonight, I want to try to lay this on your heart, and it probably is already there. I just want to give us a reminder. And I want to preach on this thought tonight. Thank God for the trumpeter. Thank God for the trumpeter. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your power tonight. I pray that you'd help me deliver this truth the way that you laid it upon my heart so many weeks ago. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to never take it for granted that we get to hear the Bible preached in truth, sound doctrine in a day of so much unsoundness and uncertainty. I pray that we just rejoice in the fact that we have a trumpeter in Jesus' name. Amen. There was an old preacher, a Methodist preacher in Kentucky in the 1800s named Peter Cartwright. I don't know if you ever heard of Peter Cartwright before, but he was sort of a camp meeting revival kind of a preacher. I was reading some of his journal entries, and I want to read you a little bit of what he said. In one of his entries, he said this, The camp was lighted up. The trumpet was blown. I rose and required every man to come to the altar. I requested the brethren, if ever they prayed in all their lives, to pray now. My voice was strong and clear. My text was, the gates of hell shall not prevail. In about 30 minutes, the power of God fell on the congregation in such a manner as is seldom seen. The people fell in every direction. It was supposed that no less than 300 fell like dead men in mighty battle. There is no need of calling mourners, for they were strewn all over the campground. Loud wailings went up to heaven from sinners for mercy, and a general shout from Christians, so the noise could be heard afar off. I thought it was interesting the way he described his voice when he said, the camp was lighted up, the trumpet was blown. I was in my office two Friday mornings ago, and I was studying in Nehemiah chapter 4 for this Wednesday night. And I had my computer turned on to KNVBC. I don't always listen to KNVBC uh, when I'm in my office, but I made it a point to listen, especially on that Friday morning. And I wanted to tune in there at 8 o'clock for the live broadcast that Pastor and Brother Moyer, Brother Ethan, Brother Russ, and others are involved in every Friday morning. The reason I tuned in was the theme for that Friday morning's broadcast was Preachers from the Past. That entire one-hour broadcast was airing voices of great men of God who are now in heaven. Those voices from a previous generation were able to thunder again on the air thanks to KNVBC. Those short clips of sermons stirred my heart. There's something different about that generation of men. They were filled with compassion. Those messages were marked by conviction. They were clear and direct and bold, and most importantly, they were biblical. I heard Lester Roloff thunder on the King James Bible. I heard Dr. Tom Malone preach on the need of having personal convictions. 
heard Oliver B. Green say in no uncertain terms that there is a place called hell. Heard the voice of Bobby Robertson champion the old time religion. Heard Harold Seitler uh, emphasize the importance of being a capital B Baptist. Heard Curtis Hudson and Lee Robertson challenge us to win souls. And many other voices that have been silenced by death began to sound forth again through the speakers on my computer. Now, all of those men that I heard that day are in heaven. But it was without question, as they stood and preached those messages, those men served as trumpeters in their generation. Now, all of those men are gone. Some of those men I got to meet. A couple of those men I got to preach for. All of those men I've tried to study after. And I can say this without any reservation. Under their tenure, America witnessed some of the largest churches to ever be built by old-fashioned Bible preaching and personal soul winning. In their generation, souls were won to Christ. Families were salvaged. Prodigals came back to the Father's house. I believe America had a proverbial John the Baptist when America had a J. Frank Norris. I believe America had a proverbial Peter when America had a Billy Sunday. In fact, I think our nation has only survived up to this point because through the generations, America's been blessed with trumpeters of Bible truth. From the earliest days of our country, it's been the man who preaches the Bible that's preserved our nation. In the colonial days, the trumpet was blasted. Men like Whitfield and Edwards and Wesley and Shubal Stern stirred the embers of revival, called America to righteousness, and planted churches in the eastern United States. I remember reading the story of George Whitfield. He'd preached all day long and was weary, and he was making his way up to his room in the inn that he was staying in, and they begged him to come back down and preach another message. The preacher, so compelled by his calling, with a candle burning in his hand, turned around, though weary, walked down the steps, opened his lips, began to preach Christ under that crowd. They said he preached until the candle in his hand burned out, and that night the light of his life burned out, and God took him home to glory. I read where John Wesley was kicked out of his parents' church because he preached it too straight. And instead of tucking his tail and running, that gospel trumpeter went outside to the graveyard, found his daddy's tombstone, crawled up on his daddy's tombstone, and finished his message in the graveyard. I want to say tonight, thank God for the trumpeter. During the days of the Civil War, the trumpets were sounded. While men were shedding their blood on the battlefields of our nation, D.L. Moody blasted his trumpet to save the lives of men on a spiritual battlefield. From Massachusetts to Chicago to foreign lands, Moody sounded out the gospel to men on the very brink of eternity. Another man named Charles Finney did the same. Charles Finney was very unorthodox, but God used him to spark a second great awakening as he would preach and pray and plead for the souls of men. I thank God for those Bible trumpeters. In the southeastern United States, a man named Sam Jones trumpeted the truth. His campaigns in the late 1800s led to over 500,000 professions of faith. He was very straightforward. He didn't come to town tooting a Christian kazoo. He came blasting the Bible trumpet. In one revival, the pastors felt that he shouldn't be so negative in his preaching. And so those compromising soft preachers gathered together to pray that God would fix Sam Jones. Sam Jones drove by the tabernacle and he saw those preachers praying and he got encouraged 
discouraged and thought they were praying for the meeting. He snuck into the prayer meeting and he began to hear them pray. They began to pray things uh, like this. God help Sam Jones to have more tact. Help him to calm down. Help him to change his mannerisms. And then it came his turn to pray. Sam Jones lifted up his voice like a trumpet and he said, Lord, I hope you won't listen to one of these preachers. They don't preach against sin. They don't visit door to door. They don't weep over sinners and they don't win souls. They want you to change me so I'll be just like them. He said, Lord, help these preachers to have enough sense to understand if you answered their prayers, I'd be just as worthless and no account as they are. I'd be too lazy to work. I'd too be uh, too afraid to fight sin. I'd be too cold to cry over sinners and too indifferent to win souls. He said, God, don't make me like those fellas. He just went ahead and preached anyhow and a sweeping revival took over that city. D.O. Moody wrote Sam Jones a letter and after hearing him preach, he said, God has put his hand on your life. He's put a sledgehammer in your hand to shatter the formalism of the church and batter down the strongholds of sin and he's helping you to use it mightily. Can I say Sam Jones might have ruffled feathers. Sam Jones rubbed compromising Christians the wrong way. Sam Jones afflicted the comfortable and comforted the afflicted. But I say thank God for the trumpeter. Thank God for a Bible preacher. J. Wilbur Chapman and Billy Sunday led America out of the 1800s and into the 1900s with the sound of their trumpets. These men held great citywide revival campaigns. Sometimes they'd preach in one place for several months. America in that day was not crowding ball fields. They weren't crowding concert halls. They weren't crowding the theater, but they were packing wooden tabernacles and canvas cathedrals to hear a leather-lunged man of God get up and preach the Bible. Billy Sunday would lift up his voice like a trumpet and he'd say, I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I got a head. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. I read where Billy Sunday'd pace his platform and find a knot hole in the wood and he'd get down on his hands and knees and look in that knot hole and dare the devil to crawl up and fight him like a man. He'd preach and bars were shut down. Theaters closed their doors. Crooked men got straightened up. Sinners got saved and saved people repented and had revival. That didn't happen because they came playing. That came because they came preaching and they lifted up their voice like a trumpet. Historically, the trumpet of the Bible has been scorned by the unbeliever. He's been misunderstood by the skeptic. He's been neglected by the worldly believer. He's been the ridicule of hell. But can I say he's been the only thing that salvaged America up to this point. You can't read the record of human history without hearing that unmistakable sound of the Bible trumpet. It rises over every other voice. It lifts over every philosophy. It surpasses every other event from Genesis to this generation. God has as a man that doesn't seek favor from flesh, but stands where only he can stand in the power of God and says what thus saith the Lord. It's the trumpet blast that brought revival to Nineveh. It's the trumpet blast that saved 3,000 in Jerusalem. God himself gave backing to the Bible trumpeter when he said, cry loud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by 
wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. From Noah who preached righteousness to Jeremiah who preached through tears to Jesus Christ who was anointed to preach. The Bible's a record of God smiling on the man that blasts the Bible trumpet. In Nehemiah chapter number four, these workers are scattered around the wall, but Nehemiah makes it a point to stay tight to the trumpeter. Danger was close and the enemy was near. The threat was real. Nehemiah's life was at stake. And he said, if I'm going to be close to somebody, I want to be as close as I can get to the man that holds the trumpet. Tonight, I want us to think on this thought. Thank God for the trumpeter. It's probably safe to say tonight, if I were to give you a pop quiz, and some of you getting ready to get out of school just had like Vietnam War flashbacks, cold chills, COVID. But anyway, if I were to give you a pop, <clears throat> well, never mind. Anyway, if I were to give you a pop quiz and say, let's list the characters, the key characters in the book of Nehemiah, I'd almost bet, well, that's not very Christian, I'd wager, I'd hypothesize, I reckon you probably would not list the trumpeter. I'm sure we'd probably get Nehemiah. Brother Yeoman, you think you get Nehemiah? If your wife helped you? I think we get Nehemiah. I think we could probably get Ezra. Probably get Asaph. Uh, we might get Sanballat and Tobiah. But I would venture to say we'd probably leave out the trumpeter. He doesn't seem to be very big or important in the scheme of things. He's not carrying stones. He's not nailing up boards. He's not carrying a shovel. He's not even swinging a sword. He's just up on the wall, standing beside a Nehemiah with his trumpet in his hand, ready to sound it when the occasion arises. Now, Nehemiah chapter 4, I said, the threat of danger is knocking at the door. And never forget this, anytime a work for God begins, there's going to be some adversaries and there's going to be some adversity. I want you to hear this statement, bigger levels, bigger devils. And anytime you go to higher ground for God, there's going to be bigger opposition than those who aren't doing anything for God. Nehemiah experiences that. All Nehemiah wants to do is build these walls. All he wants to do is honor God. All he wants to do is do what God has called him to do. But the Samaritans are not content to let Nehemiah do the will of God without a fight. Now, that's nothing new. That same thing's happening over in Israel right now. Those Samaritans, we call them Palestinians today, or if you're a liberal, you call them heroes. Uh, but Hamas and those Palestinians today won't let Israel have any peace. And there's not going to be peace until King Jesus comes and settles the matter. And by the way, one day he's going to come and settle the matter. I tell you this much. I don't know much about a politician, a crooked, left-wing, liberal, say amen right there, politician that that would call Hamas uh, some innocent group while they fire rockets into hospitals and schools and they attack. I mean, they're the antagonizer, but it's always been that way. That's what's happening now in Nehemiah chapter number four. Sanballat and Tobiah are making fun of Nehemiah. They get the armies of Samaria together. They make fun of his vision. They question his ability. And then they go so far as to scheme and think of a plan of attack so that they can kill Nehemiah and stop the work of God. Look at verse number seven. It says, but it came to pass.
confess that when Sambal and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the wall of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. So all of these anti-God Palestinian people yoked together to attack the remnant, the people of God. This threat of attack is very real. It's not just lip service. They want Nehemiah dead. They want the work of God dead. This is a very real threat and a very real danger. It's so much so that Judah gets nervous. Judah begins to question the ability of the remnant. They begin to question if they're going to be able to make it or not die in this war. They say 10 different times, you're going to die. They're going to sneak in. They're going to conspire against us. They're going to slay you, Nehemiah. The danger's real. You better pay attention to it. Now, I like the way Nehemiah responds. I mentioned a little bit ago in verse 13, it says, therefore. Now think about it. Nehemiah's getting nothing but negative news on all sides. It had been easy for Nehemiah to be like a lot of folks today. Weak need, no backbone, no conviction. Take the easy route. Go somewhere where it's less uh, pressure. But he didn't do that. He said, man, they're going to attack us. They hate my guts. They're trying to stop the work of God. I tell you what we're going to do. First, we're going to pray, and then we're all going to get a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand, and we're just going to serve God anyhow. In verse 14, he charges them. Look what he says. He says, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. Nehemiah wouldn't have made many friends with these new ecumenical preachers. He's too much for fighting against opposition. But Nehemiah said, hey, don't forget about this. God is on our side. You remember the Lord. He said, your sons are worth it. Your daughters are worth it. Your wives are worth it. Don't you quit. Don't you run. Don't you hide. You fight on. And let me say tonight, church, your family's worth it. The young people are worth it. Our city's worth it. We're not going to run and hide. Let's just fight on until Jesus comes. Picture it in your mind. The walls are joined together. They're finished, rising halfway into the air. All along the walls are men positioned, ready for battle, and ready to build. Brother Mofa, if you want to make your way up here, I'm going to have him play his trumpet in a minute. There are men on that wall holding spears that used to hold hammers. There are men on that wall holding bows that used to hold plow handles. There are men on that wall with swords on their side that had never before had a sword hanging on their belt. But now the danger is so real, the threat is so real, there's no other option. Now up on that wall, with all of those men holding a trout, holding a sword, holding a spear, gripping a bow, up on that wall stands Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the key to that work being completed. Nehemiah is their leader. Nehemiah is that motivator. Nehemiah is very pivotal to the work that God is doing in Jerusalem. He has to be protected. He has to be guarded. He has to be watched over. Now, logically, you would think Nehemiah would find the most muscular, I'm talking about seasoned soldier, a man who could yield a sword, who could shoot a bow, who could throw a spear, and he said, that's where I want to stand. Nehemiah, you get by that man with the sword. Nehemiah, you get by that man with a spear. Nehemiah, you get by that man with a bow. Maybe there's a man there that could swing a sword like Barry Bonds after a shot of steroids. I mean, he could just swing that thing. Maybe there's a man there that could shoot a bow like, like Lincoln thinks he can shoot his. I mean, just miss, never miss. I mean, maybe 
maybe there's a guy there that could throw a spear. I mean, just always found its mark. And they thought, that's who Nehemiah needs to stand by. That man with the sword. That man with the bow. That man with the spear. But then I saw it in verse 18. It jumped off the page of the Bible at me. I'd never seen it before. Nehemiah says, I don't need to be next to a man with a sword. I don't want to be next to the man with the spear. I don't need to be right by that man with the bow. But I tell you who I want to get by. I want to get by that man with the trumpet. That trumpeter doesn't look as imposing. But he said, I want to be as close to that trumpeter as I can get. Brother Mofi, in a minute I want you to play this. The trumpet has a very certain sound. Hit your, hit your trumpet. Listen to this sound. Can you imagine as they're on the wall and these men are scattered about? We'll have you hit it here again in a minute. And they're distanced from one another. If the enemy approached, the only warning they would have would be the sound of that trumpet. The only way they'd know the adversary was approaching was the sound of that trumpet. A sword wouldn't be unsheathed until it heard the trumpet. A bow wouldn't be fired till it heard the trumpet. It was a cutting sound, a catalyzing sound, a very distinct sound. Hit it again. It's a rallying cry. Listen to the sound of the trumpet. first thing in the morning. It's a cutting sound. It's a rallying sound. Can you see them in your mind up on that wall as they're working and they're worried about possible warfare? And Nehemiah says, I want to be close to that fellow right there. He's going to sound the battle cry. He's going to tell us when the foe is approaching. He's going to tell us when the enemy is close. i got to stay to where I can hear that sound. I don't want to hear an uncertain sound. I don't want to hear a faint sound. I want to get it full volume. I want to be as close to that trumpet player as I can get. And the trumpet would blast out. Nehemiah said, I've got to hear the trumpet. Mofi, you can sit down. Thank you for hitting that for me a couple of times. Now think about this. Having a trumpeter brought calm to Nehemiah in the midst of crisis. It gave him the ability to focus on the work of God because he knew there was a man that had his back. There was a man that sought his welfare. There was a man that watched for his soul and he thought I can labor and I can work and I can be faithful as long as I know I've got a trumpeter close by. Having a trumpeter gave him the courage to face the opposition, to finish the work and to give God the glory. Now you study your King James Bible and you find throughout this book right here that God pairs two words together in several verses. All throughout the Bible, he puts that word voice and that word trumpet in the same verse. He likens the voice of the messenger of God to that blast of the trumpet. It's a catalyzing sound. It's a certain sound. It's sort of a rallying cry. It's a sound that kind of can rub you the wrong way. But can I say it's the most important sound that can never fall on human ears. I think about the hymn we sing. Sound the battle cry. See the foe is nigh. Raise the standard high for the Lord. I want to go on record tonight and say this. The old fashioned preacher is more essential to your life than the president, your physician, your employer, your educator, or anybody else. There's a lot of places tonight they don't ever hear the sound of the trumpet. And tonight we're blessed to continually hear the sound of the trumpet. The greatest investment you'll ever make in your spiritual life or the spiritual life of your family is to get yourself and your family under the sound of an old-fashioned Bible preacher. 
I want to make sure I say everything I've got written down. It's the trumpet blast preaching that'll salvage our nation. It's the trumpet blast that convinces the gainsayer. It is the trumpet blast that convicts lost people. It is the trumpet blast that leads prodigals back to restoration. It's the prodigal blast, uh, the, the, rather the trumpet blast that'll call a servant into the work of God. It's the trumpet blast that'll strengthen the home. I'm not saying the trumpeter's a perfect man. I'm saying he's a called man. And I'm not saying he'll ever be a flawless man, but he's a concerned man. And no doubt we're not sinless men, but I believe we're compassionate men. And I thank God for the trumpeters in my life. I don't know about you, but I'd be lost and headed to hell right now if it wasn't for an old-fashioned leather long man of God that wasn't ashamed of his Bible and wasn't sorry about his calling and didn't apologize for the truth of the word of God and he preached the devil out of me in love and told me where I stood with God and where I was headed if I didn't get saved I'm going to heaven tonight because of an old fashioned preacher I went back by the place where I got in where I got saved this week and I went back in my mind to that day I first got under the sound of old fashioned leather long Bible preaching I never take anything for it there's nothing better than that I walked into church that day lost headed to hell I looked like a sinner I talked like a sinner. I acted like a sinner. That's because I was a sinner. That preacher got up in the pulpit. His eyes bugged out of his head. He had veins pumping out of his neck. His blood pressure was out the roof. He was spitting and yelling and screaming and hitting his Bible and lifting up his voice. He wasn't worried about being couth or classy. He didn't worry about being vogue or invited to a fellowship. He just wanted to deliver the message that God had put on his heart. He didn't know Justin Cooper from Adam. He didn't know what God would do with my life. He didn't even know who I was in that service that day but in a crowd of about 50 people in a place where there is no cell signal in a place where there is no live stream in a place where nobody ever know his name I'm glad that trumpeter got up there and he didn't sound out of kazoo he blasted that Bible trumpet the Holy Ghost of God convicted me of my sin and I got born again birth in the family of God can I say the same things true in your life as well where would you be tonight without the old-fashioned man of God thank God for the preacher where would your home be tonight without the preacher? Where would your marriage be without the preacher? Where would your prayer life be without the preacher? I understand they're misunderstood. They're often ridiculed and scorned, but that's what's salvaging our nation. I thank God for the preacher. I thank God for his stand. I thank God for sound doctrine. I thank God for the spirit. I thank God for the example. I'm not mad about it. I'm not bitter about it. I'm not looking to trade it in. I want so much the more as I see the day approaching. Thank God the teenagers have a man of God. I'm glad you got a Bible preacher, a Bible trumpeter. Don't you take it for granted. Don't you talk bad about the preacher. Don't you be an enemy of the man of God. God has blessed us with a Bible trumpeter tonight. You see, you ought not worship a man, then you quit cheering for LeBron James. or Stephen Furtick, or whoever the ecumenical preacher is you like. The trumpet blasts and sounds out salvations only by grace through faith. The trumpet blasts and reminds us God still hates sin. That trumpet blasts and reminds us that heaven is sweet, but hell is real. The trumpet blasts and reminds us not to be a friend of this world. The trumpet sounds out and tells us we ought to worship God. 
That trumpet sounds out and says, if you've fallen, thank God by his grace you can get back up. That trumpet sounds out. Moses was a trumpeter. Nathan was a trumpeter. Jeremiah was a trumpeter. Micaiah was a trumpeter. Elijah was a trumpeter. Isaiah was a trumpeter. Peter and Paul, they were trumpeters. Thank God for preaching. That sound of that trumpet is a plow for my final ground. It's water to my thirsty soul. It's bread for my hungry life. It's sunshine on my dark days and a beacon to lead me through this world. I thank God for a trumpeter. We have so much spin, so much fake news, so much uh, corrupt culture. I'm glad there's still a voice of truth that echoes out in the midst of a sinful generation pointing the way toward God. Hey, we're blessed tonight for the trumpeter. I thank God for a preacher. I thank God for a preacher that'll pray for me when I'm sick. I thank God for a preacher that'll congratulate us at the birth of our babies and comfort us at the death of our loved ones. I thank God for a phone number I can call at three in the morning or three in the afternoon and either time I call, happy to answer and help. Say amen, it'd be all right to help you a little bit. I thank God for a man that though I, I might misuse him and abuse him and hurt him, it is amazing he still shows me grace and love regardless. You say he's perfect. No, he's not perfect just like you're not perfect. But he's God's man and we're blessed to have a Bible trumpeter. It was good enough for Nehemiah. It'd probably be good enough for you. Where would you be tonight if it weren't for your preacher? I remember when I used to travel and go to these different churches, my goal in those churches was not so much to help that church, but to keep that pastor from quitting one more year. And I felt like my most important ministry was probably not in the pulpit, but at the table, or in the car, or in the hotel lobby, encouraging that man of God to just continue on. And I found it over and over again that the reason they had me in once or twice a year was because if they didn't have me in once or twice a year, wasn't a whole lot of other people encouraging them to continue on. Can I say that is a shame? That should never be said once among us here at this place. Because there'll be a day where we'll say, I remember when and wish it still was. And right now we get to live with it as it is. We ought to take advantage of every moment. I thank God. When's the last time you went up to your preacher and said, I thank God for you? I'm glad I've got a pastor, a pastor's wife. I'm glad that I go to this church. It was good enough for Nehemiah. I want to read you this poem and I'm going to close. But I want you to think about this. Just preach on. Just preach on. If you're preaching from the Bible, preach on. If you're longing for revival, then preach on. Preach on sin and condemnation. Preach for sinners his salvation. Preach to Christians consecration. But preach on. If your sermon's from the Lord, then preach on. By the way, when he preaches, you ought to be shouting, preach on. Never mind if some look bored, just preach on. The devil looks down on it, critics frown upon it, but souls depend upon it, so preach on. I like this. If you step on someone's corns, preach on. Take the bull right by the horns and preach on. Even though they may not like it, even when some try to fight it where there's wrong, the Lord can ride it, so preach on. Let not time be a restriction. Oh, I like that. What it say? Let not time be a restriction. Let not time be a restriction. I think I'm stuck. Let not time be a restriction. Just preach on. If a sinner's got conviction, then preach on. Christ can save his soul from hell, cleanse his heart, and make him well, even if it's after 12. Just preach on. 
from Genesis to Revelation, preach on. Christ for every situation, oh, preach on. Even if the people doubt it and say they can live without it, if you've talked with God about it, then preach on. In the Holy Spirit's power, preach on. He'll reward you in His hour, just preach on. Broken hearts and sins forgiven. Blessings here so freely given. And a crown when you get to heaven, so preach on. I was in my office on a Friday morning. And I heard voices that thousands of people got to hear in person every Sunday. I only get to hear them on recordings. It's a distinct sound. Peculiar sound. Cried out against conviction. Out of have them. Against sin. Proud, proud to say they believe the King James Bible. It's a peculiar sound. Preached on personal soul winning. Separation from this world. The second coming. They're gone. But they're not all gone. And tonight we still have a trumpeter. And I don't know, he'd probably be uncomfortable with it, but I think it'd be in order if you felt God was in it, that you'd go hug his neck and say, thank God for you, preacher. I'm glad we have a trumpeter. It's been the toughest year of my life, so I know it's been the toughest year of his life. And he's lived longer than I have. But he hadn't quit. And he stayed at the work, and he stayed on the wall, and he's blown the trumpet, even though some of us don't like to hear it. Why? Because there's a real threat. There's an adversary. But thank God we have a watchman on the wall. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.